0: Before we dive into today's episode, I want to share with you a brand new resource that is now available to University of Rochester students. Interstride is an interactive platform that empowers international students to thrive through a variety of features including visa and immigration support, tailored job opportunities, webinars, and so much more. To get started, visit interstride.com slash Rochester.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Careers Unfiltered. I'm your co host, Casey Yu, and I'm here again with my fellow co host, Danae King. Hello, Danae. Hi, Casey. How are you? Pretty good, pretty good, and I'm feeling really great because today we are joined by our special guest, Nick Colucci. Nick Colucci is currently the Chief Operating Officer of Publicis North America and Executive Chairman of Publicis Health, a major healthcare communications company. He received his BS in neuroscience in 1981 and was also a football player and the brother of Delta Kappa Epsilon. Nick then went on to complete his MBA from Loyola University, Maryland in
2: 1990.
1: And we are very excited that he is here today. Hello, Nick.
2: Hi, Casey. It's a pleasure Hi. to be here.
1: Thank you so much for joining us. And You're welcome. just to start us off, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, please?
2: Sure. Um, I'm the oldest son of a family of, uh, of four. I have a brother and two sisters. Um, I grew up in a small town south of Buffalo, New York, Jamestown, New York. So I'm an upstate New York person. I met my wife at the University of Rochester. She's a 1982 grad. Um, she's a, a, a nurse. Um, she's been an oncology nurse since the day she graduated and um, still works today, too, at Sloan Kettering in New York. We have uh, three children. Um, three sons. I had a crack at one of them coming to the U of R, but he changed his mind at the last minute and ended up going to Middlebury college. Um, he was actually a wonderful soccer player and was being recruited by, I think coach Apple at the time and ended up playing soccer at Middlebury and having a wonderful career there. He's an architect now. And, um, my oldest son went to GW and he works for JP Morgan And my youngest son went to Colgate and he's a writer and works for a advertising company in New York City. And he's getting married soon. I guess that's I live in Westfield, New Jersey. I have an apartment in New York City um, in Greenwich Village. And I have a little place on the water in Cape Cod um, where it's my place to get away and ponder life.
0: Oh, that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing, Nick. Casey, you're from New Jersey, aren't you? I am from New Jersey.
1: I'm from Lawrenceville. And then I'm also the oldest of four children, except we are all daughters. So I am enjoying seeing these connections (laughs) happening right now.
2: Lawrenceville is wonderful. Did you go to Lawrenceville? um, Did you go to the prep school in Lawrenceville, the high school there?
1: I did not. I went to the public high school. But yes, we were adjacent to there and enjoyed the lovely
2: ice cream shop that's outside <laughs> <laughs> we have some family friends that went to lawrenceville
1: oh excellent yes and my great son
2: film. that my middle son and youngest son went to del barton and they played uh, soccer and against lawrenceville i think so we've yes. been down there it's a beautiful place in new jersey
1: yeah well thank you i'm glad someone appreciates jersey <laughs> <laughs> I'm
0: loving all these connections. This is great. So Nick, I would love to hear a little bit about your time at U of R. I know you were a student athlete um, and you just had some other experiences on campus. So what was that like?
2: Um, well, you know, uh, only judging by my children now who went to school, you know, in this millennia at college, I was in school for the most part of you know, in the 70s, the late 70s, it felt, you know, at that point, I had a I mean, in general, I had a wonderful experience at the UVAR. I don't think it started out that way. I wasn't exactly sure I knew what I wanted to do. Um uh but I had I I made some lifelong friends there. And as I mentioned, I meant the love of my life there. So I had a wonderful experience. Um, I did play football for four years, and captain. I was a captain my senior year. I had a wonderful experience playing football there, and it was just a part of my education process, I'd say. You know, we had to learn how to balance our time um, between academics and, and athletics. I think almost everybody that's to this day who plays Division Three athletics, you know, has to find that balance uh, of, of how to best use their time. You know, I was in a fraternity and I lived in it for a year, but I, after that, not so much. I had, it was a nice social part of my involvement, but I didn't, it, I didn't center my social life around it, I would say. It was a part and a good part, but not the centerpiece in general, I met lots of people and lots from lots of different um, walks and really have to say that the time I spent at Rochester set me on a, on the right course, I would say.
1: That's excellent. And I really love how, you know, you hit all of like the different aspects of your time here at U of R um, in terms of like, athletics, then also how it branched out into your social spheres with the fraternity, and then your relationships. Like, that's really great. And I am curious as well, you mentioned that you struggled a little bit in terms of like figuring out you know, at the beginning of college what you were going to do. So how did you end up deciding like what you were going to major in? How did you face those yeah. challenges and such? Um
2: Well, back then neuroscience was in what was called a brand new interdisciplinary major. And part of what my struggle was, is I couldn't figure out what I really, I mean, I loved, I loved biochemistry. I loved biology or I liked biology. I liked psychology. I liked philosophy. I mean, I, I actually couldn't figure out what to do or what angle to move in. And so I, I worked with an advisor at the time who kind of oriented me towards this new major. It's not new now. I know, but back then it was, um, of neuroscience, which was a blend of almost all the things that I just mentioned. And so I took a combination of those classes and probably the only thing I struggled with is do they still have a language proficiency, proficiency requirement? We, we did no that longer. We had, to, we had to, have a Spanish and I had taken it, but not very seriously. And I didn't do much until my junior year where I failed the test two or three times to get out of the proficiency thing. But luckily at the end, I passed. Um, But I I think that's, uh, I ended up being very happy in the end with the neuroscience degree because it let me take all the different aspects of what I just mentioned and and turn it into a degree. I wasn't exactly sure what I, was, what I was going to do with it at the end. I guess we can talk about that in a moment. But that's what I felt I struggled with at the beginning. But once I got into my junior year, I felt I had my stride.
0: Oh, yeah. I always love listening and hearing everyone's different experience when they first come to college and they start to figure out what's best for them and what they'll major in it's always so fascinating because everyone else has different influences um and so you had mentioned all the things you were involved in while you were at the U of R did you have any tips or tricks that helped you manage your time and prioritize what you were doing while you were there
2: so I, I would say to you, my, you know, judging now, you know, here I am in my sixty-third year. I'm, you know, you get to know yourself pretty well when you get to be my age, or at least you should. Um, you know, when I look back on those times, I probably was very disciplined by by nature. I'm a disciplined person. Um, I might not know what I always want. I have such diverse interests, and I've always. Had such diverse interests, um, which is what which can make things challenging, but I was very disciplined. Once I made up my mind to do something, I didn't find it hard to discipline myself. You know, I actually have a thing that I say to people at work that I don't like when people talk about time management because it makes it feel like you can manage time and it takes away where who you really need to manage, which is yourself. You know, you can't manage time. It's a constant, right? It just keeps marching on. It doesn't. It's not manageable. You need to manage yourself. And I guess I've always been really disciplined at knowing when I had to do what when. I mean, there were times I made bad judgments and all of us do as we go through life. I'm still making them, but I certainly made a lot when I was 18, 19 Twenty twenty one. when I was in college, just like all of you are doing, you find your way, though, through those those bad judgments. Um, you know, you make you start to then make series of smarter ones and better ones. And, you know, but for the most part, I've all, I never found it hard to manage myself in terms of where priorities lied, what were lying and what I needed to do to to deal with the priorities at hand. I think that's the best thing I could say to you about that.
1: I think that's really powerful to sort of shift that mindset because I do think everyone sort of harps on time management. And you're right. It is something that is more internally driven and focused in terms of how you approach your priorities. So I really like that. And I will take that advice as I move into final season. So thank you, Nick. Yeah. Um, And I know you mentioned earlier that you weren't sure what you were going to do after undergrad. So I'm curious what ended up happening after you graduated before you transitioned to graduate school.
2: You know, I think this is one of the greatest things I hope to do for the people that are going to listen to this podcast. Because I think often people like to think that successful people have this straight line from one spot to the top, so to speak. And it's not like that. If you, you talk to anyone that gets to be at the point where I am or at my stage, they're gonna, they're gonna relay to you a career that bobbed and weaved that went 10 steps forward and eight steps backwards all along the way. At first, I thought I was gonna go to medical school. I applied to a few schools, but I didn't get into any that I really wanted to go to. At that point, it was incredibly competitive. I guess it still is, but it, it, I I just didn't have the grades to get in. I, uh, you know, was a pretty much a B student, um, maybe, maybe shading towards B plus, but, and I did okay on the MCATs, but nah, I didn't kill them. So I probably, if I would have been more persistent or gone harder at it I probably could have but I wasn't sure even then and I'm glad now that it didn't work that way so I kind of I hung out for a bit and I loaded boxes at UPS when I graduated you have to remember 1980 81 that's when that was the last bad economic time there was there was like stagflation and things like that. Reagan was coming in. We were coming off of a really rough time. And the, the worst economic time since 2008. 2008 then became you know, probably equally so or worse. But back then, it was tough to get a job. I got a great job at UPS Loading Boxes. They pay a lot per hour there. I was able to sustain myself for a while. And then I bumped into an old friend who was working for a pharmaceutical company and gave me the idea of of interviewing for a job at a pharmaceutical company. And I wasn't sure what I was going to do, maybe go to grad school, maybe teach or coach. Um, So I just decided I'd try this job, try the interview, and I ended up really liking the manager and I ended up really liking the job. I took the job as a pharmaceutical sales rep in the Buffalo, New York area. And I, that was really the beginning of my career, I would say. So I, I stumbled on it. So when people tell you that they know exactly what they want, I mean, I, I admire those people that knew what they wanted to be when they showed up in their freshman year. I know, I know a few of them and are still doing it to this day, but they're in the minority. I think a lot of us bob and weave, as I mentioned before, before we end up settling on what our real calling is or what makes us really happy.
0: I definitely agree with that. I'm like at the midpoint of my career right now, and I totally understand a lot of what you're saying. You start to figure out some different priorities, what means the most to you and where you want to go. Your interests change, which is just totally natural. So you did eventually start to pursue graduate school. Um, so what led you to that decision and what were you hoping to come out of that?
2: Yep. I, I, I think working as a sales rep really helped me learn how to communicate effectively. And it also helped me adjust my ego. You know, sales reps collect no's and um, learning how to deal with that kind of rejection is really important in your life. You know, it's another point I'll say to you, the people that I love working with are the people that I, I always use the term have grit. And you don't get grit until you get knocked down a few times. You know, there's a few, in, and you get dirty and gritty. And, and in football, we always used to say, it's never a sin to get knocked down, it's a sin to stay down. You get knocked down, you get right back up again. And the same thing holds true in your career and in many factors of your life. And so I, I, as, a re, as a sales rep, I really loved that part of the work. Um, but I could tell I, I wanted to work in management, not actually being a super rep anymore. I wanted to lead people. I wanted to be a general manager. And so I knew that I would need to, to, to round out my education. Back then, MBAs were more encouraged in the 80s to help you do that more so than they are now. And I have very much more of a science and, and philosophy and psychology background. So I, I needed some economics and finance and business. And so I took an MBA program that was a, an executive or a fellowship program where I gave up three years of Saturdays. And um, I just went to school from 8 in the morning till 6 o'clock at night. Um, every Saturday for three years, that's pretty much what it was with about a month off in July, cause it's so hot in Baltimore and like, hard to work in July. And, all. um, anyway, we, we, that's what I did. And, um, and right out of that is when I moved into the marketing department at, um, you know, and, and started working in marketing management and product management. So that's why I I pursued my MBA.
1: Excellent. And I hear again, the self-discipline while receiving your MBA. Um, I'm pretty sure every single undergraduate student would not want to sacrifice their Saturdays, but it goes to show a lot about your own grit um, in -hmm. order to achieve your that
2: During that time, I married my wife in 86. So I I started going to that school in 87. We moved to Baltimore. I was working as a manager, sales manager at the time, getting my degree. We had two children in that wow. period of, of time. Yeah. I mean, that, first of all, that's the prime of your life. I mean, you know, I was just turning 30 and, you know, that's, that's when you're starting to really get at it. And so, yeah, I, I was, I guess I was disciplined. You work in study groups, I met some wonderful guys that I, two of them I stay in touch with these days that were in my study group doing very different things. One was a commercial real estate guy, and the other one was a banker. And actually, even a third one, he worked at IBM at the time in the sales area that he was trying to move to marketing to. I don't stay so close to touch with him anymore. But anyway, that was my group. And we just worked together and helped each other out when work kind of got – the best of us, someone else would lean in and help. And we, we were a really great team. And you learn, I, I I really had a wonderful experience getting my MBA. It wasn't a terrible hardship. Plus it got me out of the house. So I didn't have babies screaming and yelling at me for, uh, (laughs) for at least one day out of the week.
1: (laughs) Well, I think that's great that you were also able to find, you know, support and a team when finding your MBA, when completing your MBA. Cause I think right. people tend to think that these are just solo ventures when really you're doing it all together and you can meet great people from different backgrounds and, you know, learn from one another and encourage one another as you continue through your education. So I love it.
2: <laughs> right. um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, it always depends on what you're going to do with your life and your work. But I have found that business is all about deep and meaningful relationships and connections that you're able to make and, you know, how you how you nurture those and create a lattice of 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 those relationships that that build on a structure by which you build your career. I mean, I wouldn't be unlike all those other people that say that, you know, right now there are twenty six thousand people under my Direction in one way or another, and you can't do that alone you, i've i I've, I've learned how to work with a leadership team virtually my whole career now and uh, or or other people on a team and I would go back to my days and you know I started playing football when I was nine years old, and I didn't stop until I was twenty one so even a lot of what I learned there about working on a team i I brought I brought with me and bring with me to the work I do today.
1: That's, that's excellent. And definitely I think sports are create lifelong lessons for any sort of thing and especially in career. And so thank you for sharing about your MBA and how you received that and achieve that. Um, I am curious, though, how you were able to start working in the industry and healthcare communications specifically. And if you Thanks. could explain a little bit about what healthcare communications
2: is. Sure. So um, I went into marketing, as I mentioned, in, in a large pharmaceutical company and did that for several years, kind of rising up to the ranks to a director position. And then I was Recruited away for a small startup, almost like everybody in my generation seemed to be during that time—a healthcare startup um, that was a technology that that was used to um, to help with vision care and map the cornea of your eye and so on for either contact lens fitting or for driving a laser that that has LASIK. You probably heard of LASIK or PRK at the time. And so I did that for a few years and I was the head of marketing and sales in that company. It was a small startup, same kind of thing. It was bought by a bigger company, a laser company actually. And, um, they were going to, the company was in Irvine, California. I flew out there and I'm just a Northeastern kid. Um, and I found it really hard to feel comfortable out there. Everything seemed too perfect to me. The weather was too perfect. The trees were too perfect. The sidewalks didn't have gum on them. I've grown up, I've been on the East Coast. So I was fearful I'd never find another pastrami sandwich or something like that. So I need, so I didn't, I chose not to go with the company. They offered it, but I chose to stay. We made a little bit of money in the earnout or in the acquisition. So we stayed in New York area, the New York City area. And I went to work for an advertising agency as a lark, like a holdover till I could find another manufacturing job, right. Or another startup. I loved it. My wife would tell me how much happier it seemed I was every day. And, you know, they threw me on some accounts that they were going to lose that were health accounts. And I, I, I saved them and started winning new business. It just seemed easy to me. And before you know it, I was, you know, I had the CEO of that business came to me and said, why don't you just run the health business we're going to break it out. And you start this health because it was part of a bigger advertising agency that was also doing Tide soap and, you know, uh, doing doing work for Procter and Gamble and Tide and things like that, you know, cars you know, um, Toyota, we were advertised. So I said, sure. So I broke it out and we started um, just concentrating in health and we just started winning business. And really what it is, is a lot of the things that pharmaceutical representatives go in with to talk to physicians have to be created and the pharmaceutical companies don't create it. They work with agencies to do it. And then some of the, the advertising that people like to make fun of on television, that consumer advertising, I was a big part of, um, you know, our organization came up with the purple pill and Prilosec, which, so there, we were involved in a lot, a lot of things. The Humera commercials that you see on today, we do them all. Um, so things like that. Um, and then a lot of our work is consulting. It's, it's kind of. You know, working with pharmaceutical companies, consulting for them how to best approach um, the 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 development and marketing of products so that they are, you know, get to the marketplace and deal with the reimbursement dynamics and all of that kind of stuff. There's lots of aspects. And that company was bought by a company and then that company was bought by a bigger company. And then we went public. And it's just like one of those stories that my generation seems to have lived through. Yours will be a little bit different, I'm sure, but that's what it was for me.
0: What an amazing story. I find that so fascinating. Um, So how did you eventually become a founder and CEO? And for someone in a position like that, what does your day-to-day even look like?
2: So a founder, meaning that I was inside of a already, it wasn't like, and I want to make sure I tell you this, I didn't break out on my own and start something from zero. I have enormous respect for people like that, but that's not what I did. I was inside this company and the CEO at the time said, I want to spin out and start a healthcare practice. And then I did that. So then that grew to I mean, today they're going to do because I've transitioned the leadership. I'm the executive chairman, but I've, i I transitioned to, to an heir apparent who I had been grooming for years, and she took over a couple of years ago, and she's doing a wonderful job. She's everybody as good as I thought she was going to be, and even better. That company today is it's about a seven hundred and fifty million dollar business. Back mm-hmm. when I was starting it, we were five million dollars. So it it's, it's grown substantially. So how, I don't, I mean, I just, he gave me the trust and confidence and I just love doing the work. I loved, you know, I love advertising. Advertising is one of the great things in life. I, a lot of people don't talk about it as much anymore. It's not one of the hot things that people do, but for me, it was great. It mixed business and creativity you know, writing and science and all that stuff that I told you that I I loved (laughs) and couldn't figure out what to do in my early years, it ended up working that when you're in an advertising agency, you do a lot of that stuff just naturally. You know, I was a decent writer. And so I learned how to write and I'm a good judge of creative work. And before you know it, you know, you work with creatives who just see the world in such a different way than the rest of us. And I, I learned how to manage them and work carefully with them. And before you knew it, we just built this incredible organization together. And I think I answered your question. (laughs) I think.
0: (laughs) Yes, you definitely did. Um, yeah, I love how you're able to blend all of your interests and skills together in a way for this like perfect Mm -hmm. cocktail of a career for you. That's amazing.
2: Yeah, And as soon as I transitioned, you know, the, the last co- these last couple of years, I'm the COO. Now, what it means is I went, the, the company that owns the, the health group is a large division. So think of it like there's GE, right? There's GE Health and GE Finance, GE Jet Engines. Publicis is a very large holding company of communications businesses, And now I work at the corporate level. I transitioned out of being the CEO of the health practice, as I mentioned, you know, having an heir apparent, I groomed her. She's now, you know, she's younger than me and now running that business. And I'm up at the corporate level, kind of managing that along with those Tide Soap clients and all of that Toyota and uh, working as an operations lead for a really talented CEO and CFO, the three of us kind of run the North American operations of this global enterprise. The global Pulisys is an 80,000 person company in you know about 50 countries around the world and we manage you know new, the US, Canada and Latin America and the three of us and that's my job now.
1: That's great. And I remember how you had mentioned before that you were interested in med school and you majored in neuroscience, but now you're able to be a part of healthcare, but in a different way. So I really like to see how you can combine all of these different things and discover a different way to be a part of the healthcare industry. So I think that's that's helpful, (laughs) especially for all the pre-med students who are
2: here at U of R. (laughs) Right, And, and I was one of them.
1: Yes. So I'm curious if there are any specific skills that you think would be helpful for current students who would be interested in pursuing a career like this.
2: Well, look, I, I have to tell you that, that you know, you, life is a series of learning about who and what you are and what makes you happy. It's hard for me to give a lot of advice about things like this, except to say almost the same kinds of things I'm saying to my own children is, you know, you have to kind of what, what really makes you happy? What gives you a thrill? And when, when you, when you find that, you know, you've, it almost feels like you're not working. It feels like you're just doing stuff. You're just doing, and you have to keep out there looking for that. You have to keep finding that. And sometimes it might take you years. It took me probably 15 years before I landed in advertising. I mean, I spent 15 years on the manufacturing side. And then the last 25, I just started my my 40th year of work. Um, you know, it took me that much time to find where I ended up. You know? So that's why. You know, I've been real with my own children about the fact that um, that are now, you know, older than than you, Casey. I mean, they're working. Um, and I would I tell them that, you know, very few of us know exactly the right thing to do. So you just got to keep cracking at it. You just got to keep pursuing what makes you really happy, what gives you great joy. And sometimes it takes a while, but I'm not sure beyond that. You know, I know there are some parents out there who are pounding their fist and insisting that their kids, their children know exactly what they want to do. What are you going to do when you get out? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? do? I didn't do that. Uh, And I think it's a mistake. I think you've got to, you know, everybody matures at a different rate and everybody everybody's got a passion. They just have to unpeel it, figure it out and you just got to keep them doing. Now you can't sit around in front of the television or games, you know, you know, eating bonbons and what, and playing, uh, you know, weird computer games online or whatever that you got to get out there and you got to keep cracking at it. But it's a, I'm not sure you always have to know exactly what, where, when, why, and how.
0: (laughs) I don't even have to ask you our last question because I think that was a perfect note to end our conversation on, Nick. And I just want to thank you so much for joining us today and for being so honest and transparent about your journey and I think there's a lot of great nuggets of information and advice that students can take away from the conversation
2: but I do I, there is one thing I wanted to say though because I, sure. I, I saw you when you, you you know people know in this blog that you help us with questions and brief I thought about the one thing I'm going to tell you the one piece of advice somebody gave me early on in my career that I didn't quite understand but now I do and they said to me if more people spent time making their decisions right than they do trying to make the right decision, there'd be a lot more successful people. I think that there are, that there's no doubt that we all need to ponder and do due diligence whenever we make a decision about anything large and small. But usually there's a point of no return and you've got to find that pretty early or you miss the opportunity or you miss the joy in seizing the moment. And what you learn is that you've got to be decisive, make that decision and then seize the day. Go for it and work really hard to make it the right decision. When you do that, you end up um, I think, having a, a more fulfilling life no matter what it is. And you use modern terms like pivoting, right? When you make a bad decision, you pivot to, to something else, but you've got to keep being decisive. Working for an indecisive boss is terrible. It's the worst experience I ever had. It's better to work with somebody who might be even a little too pig-headed and narrow-minded, but they make a decision and you know how to navigate your way through it. You might not love that experience either, but at least it's better than somebody who makes no decisions. That's the worst. And so you bring that to yourself too. And that's the best advice I can give anybody
1: thank you so much, Nick. That was really powerful. And it reminds me of advice that my own dad gives me, like he says, carpe diem all the time to all four yeah. of us. And I think it's true going after and like being more decisive in what you want to do and pursuing it. But then if you need to make the change, like that's all right. As you, long as you keep on moving forward and continuing to grasp those opportunities that come your way. So thank you so much, Nick, for everything that you've shared. I've truly taken a lot away from it.
2: And so I'm really appreciative of it. You're welcome. Thank you so much. And I'm glad you're doing this and I'm happy to participate in any other way again sometime. Great.
1: Thank you, Nick. Bye-bye.
2: All right. Bye-bye.
1: If you enjoyed what you heard from our amazing guests and their career journeys, Please give us a rating on your podcast listening platform of choice. Hit subscribe and share us with your friends. Thank you so much for listening and see you next time on Careers Unfiltered.